All right, good morning, everybody. I don't know about your house, ours was warm. It was so warm, Pam even let me wear shorts this morning. Isn't that awesome? Yes, it's cool. There are some advantages. It's a good deal. Hey, just encourage you, uh, make sure you drink a lot of fluids, right? And uh, stay out of the direct heat. It's going to be uh, toasty, toastier tomorrow, so take care of yourselves and watch out. We are in, if you're newer visiting this morning or you're online, we are in our series, First John, Walking in the Light. And uh, we get an interesting one this morning. We're going to look at the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, it's a unique little story. Uh, last week we saw, just to go down memory lane a little bit and back up, we saw that John was trying to bolster the church. He was trying to anchor it uh, because some of the damage, in all honesty, had come internally. Right? It had come from people who were in the body, had left, and now we're trying to recruit. And so it had created some tension. It had caused problems. Um, people had, as we said, had left, had gone after different um, theologies there. Um, and so John's coaching them, and what he says is, hey, stop, don't get so rattled. Go back to what you learned at the beginning. Go back to what you learned at first. You know, and that's always... I think really good advice. What did you learn when you first got saved? You learned that Jesus was your Lord and Savior, that he would take care of all your problems, that the Bible was the word of God, and if you stayed in and trusted, he would walk with you all the days of your life. That is great advice. And his command was to abide in that. That means to dwell with that, to be of one heart, to be of one spirit with that. And this abiding is directly linked to Jesus. That's who the target is, the one that they had learned from the beginning. And John, as you're going to, you probably already picked up, and you're going to see as we continue to go through the book of 1 John, John's going to have the drumbeat, and he's going to loop through several things. Here are the themes that we've covered so far. Uh, our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. Remember, John's already pointed out, and he's going to go through it a lot more. If you have the Father, if you have the Son, you have the Father. And uh, if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. You can't have the Father if you don't have the Son. We are to walk in the light. We are to be children of light. The best test of walking in the light, as we're going to look at today, is loving your brother. Beware of antichrists, those who will pull you away from the faith. And then practice righteousness. Why? Because he is righteous. Why should we be holy? Because God's holy. And those are the themes that John's pounding on. They're going to be repeated and the rest of it. But particularly this morning, we're going to be reminded again of the importance of loving one another. That is something that uh, has been a hallmark of ours. It's something we've been good at, but it's something you have to constantly brush up, constantly keep on top of. Uh, so let's offer up the time to our Father in Heaven this morning and, and just seek Him before He proceeds because why He's good at loving, we're not. We could use His help. All right, Father in heaven, we know that you spend three quarters of the New Testament telling us to love one another, which cues us that you are alerting us to something that we take for granted and really miss on. And that is you are the source of love. You are the most loving person in the universe. We think we're good at it, but we're really not. And Lord, we recognize that it takes a lot to learn to be like you. It takes a lot to become like you, especially in this area of love. Lord, we are so easily overcome with disappointment or anger or frustration or irritability or all those kind of things that can cloud our 
judgment and our spirits so quickly. As we're here this morning, Lord, uh, in the cool, we, we pray that you would help us track with you on these thoughts that are laid out in 1 John. And we give that to you in your name. Amen. All right. All right, take your Bibles. We're in 1 John. We're starting chapter 3, verse 11, and it says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. As I mentioned, why do you think John keeps bringing this back up, right? Because if you've been in this series, you've heard this more than once. And the answer is because he knows that this is where the problem lies. Uh, and this is what happened in his particular church that he was battling. And I think it's true of our churches today as well, is that um, this was, this, this loving one, another, this was what was getting clobbered uh, in all this contention over knowledge. They had Chuck loving each other out the window, and it was all about knowledge. And if you know knowledge battles, some of you have been in church where it's all about knowledge. Not that knowledge is wrong or knowledge is bad. Knowledge is good. has to be balanced with some other attributes. But they clobbered each other over who was more right. And so that's what the wars were over. And, um, and by the way, just a side note, if you want to take this one another theme farther, uh, there's an author named Gene Getz. He's a pastor out of Dallas. He's written a whole series on one another, the one another's of the New Testament. And if you want to read it, he's got a book called Loving One Another, and you can track it. It's a great read. I encourage you for it. But back on to uh, where we were. We are command, by the command of Scripture, to, to one another each other. That's what it means to be in fellowship together. That means taking care of each other. We are to speak the truth in love to each other. So what you find in Scripture is that truth, knowledge, is always hooked with love. And they're meant to go together. They're meant to pull together. And basically, this reminds us of what Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 13. Right? We know this. You've been to a lot of weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. There's that whole list right there. You can see it up on the screen. I don't have to read the whole thing. Read through it. You know it. But we've always said that you can tell that if you, you're saying, I really don't see why Jesus is so necessary. Let me show it to you very quickly. You can take Jesus' name, put Jesus' name in this list, and a personality is going to emerge out of this list. If you read it that way, it goes like this. Jesus is patient. Anybody in this room that Jesus has been patient with? Jesus has been kind. Anybody Jesus has been kind with? He does not envy, he does not boast, he's not arrogant, he's not rude. I said, you know, if anybody could blow their own horn and strut their stuff, wouldn't it be God? And as you go through that list, you realize, and you go, that's a pretty amazing person. That's the person who's reaching out to you. That's what God is like. This is actually a description of the character in the heart of God. Now, if you want to see the discrepancy, all you have to do is put your name in the list. Now, there's a lot of it this morning. We'll just use I. Okay? I am patient. Anybody in trouble yet? I am kind. I don't envy. I don't boast. I'm not arrogant. I'm not rude. I don't insist on my own way. Hmm. Hello, families. It is, I am not irritable. I'm not resentful. I, I do not, I do not rejo I rejoice in wrongdoing, and I don't rejoice in the truth. Right? You don't have to go too far down that list and you start seeing cracks. Right? Oops. 
oops, oops. And really, when you think about it, God's desire through the Holy Spirit is to make us that list. Uh, we talked uh, last week. We talked about sweet Jesus, right? It's a phrase that's used about this is what they're describing when you get this kind of personality. That's a sweet person. And what you find as you get older is you either get you either get sweet or you get bitter, right? You either rejoice with life and what God's given you, or you have what I call disappointment with life, and all you do is go over the things you didn't get or didn't happen. And, and it changes your character, it changes your heart. That's what John knows. Contention and contentious issues have always been a part of the fabric of the church. A lot of us say, oh, if I could have just been back in the biblical times, if I could have just been back in the early church. Well, I got news for you. The early church was full of contention, right? So it's like no better than today and no worse than today. They had to battle the same things we do, and we have to battle the same things they do. There's always been a battle over who's right or over who's more right in the church versus how do we get along. Been, that tension has existed uh, since the church began. And if you say, well, you know, if we could just go farther back, it existed with the disciples as well, right? They were arguing over who was greater. So there you go. The point is here is that Knowledge and love are both very important. John is pointing out that loving your brother is not optional. He's not asking your opinion on it. He's telling you what God's command on it is, that we are to love each other. And to underscore the point, he uses a pretty dramatic illustration out of the Old Testament, and that is the story of Cain and Abel. We're going to look at that story this morning. First uh, John says this, verse 12, We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one. Notice the description there, right out of the chute. John adds a commentary to this about Cain. It says he was of the evil one and he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? What was the modus operandi? What was behind the push? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. First, let's set the context. The story before this story is what? Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They munch on the fruit, everybody out of the pool, right? Next story in the Bible is Cain versus Abel. Cain kills Abel. What's significant about that is the timing. One generation removed from the garden, and you have murder enter the human race. Has murder ever left us? <laughs> Not really, right? Uh, matter of fact, when you ask yourself, where do 85% of all the murders in America happen? We think of gangs and drive-by shootings and, you know, the mob and all this kind of stuff. And the truth is, that's not where they happen. What are the calls that firefighters and policemen hate to go on? They are the domestic violent calls. Because they're the most volatile, the most out of control. You never know what you're walking into. And so... Uh, that murder, the worst battles are not fought on the battlefield, they're fought in our homes. Which is a sad commentary because 95% of all our songs in our culture are about love. Yet we seem very poor at it. If you don't believe that statistic is true, by the way, about 85%, just take a pen and notebook. Sorry, that's old school. Take your phone. Just sit down, watch the news. Start cataloging. Just go on MSN, go wherever, and just start cataloging the murders that they list, and you'll see that they are 
domestic battles that take place. So what that tells us, like I said, is that the greatest battles are fought at home, not in the battlefield. And here's the very first one. This is the first place. This is a sibling rivalry. This is where it busts out. This is where it all began. This is where it manifested. What's really fascinating is the why behind the reason that Cain murdered his brother. John says it was because Cain's deeds were evil and Abel's were righteous. In other words, Abel really bugged Cain. He irked him. He was ticking him off because he was righteous and he was Johnny Goody Two-Shoes and it was making him look bad and he was not a happy camper about it. Look at the story. We'll go back to Genesis here. I'm, I'm reading from uh, Genesis chapter 4. It says, Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. So you have different aptitudes there. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering from the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. Now, it doesn't really ever tell us why, and there's been a lot of speculation all the wise. All I would say is that simply something in the mix, there was something that when Abel did it, it was right, and there was something that when Cain did it, it was wrong. And this did not make Cain happy. This really bent him out of shape. You can pick it up in the next verses. Look at verse 5. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. You ever have your face fell? Right? You ever, we call it pouting. Okay. Of course, we would never pout, but that's what you call it. Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will it not be accepted? In other words, Cain had an option here. It wasn't like over and done. It wasn't like this was never to be fixed or it couldn't be course corrected. God was talking to him and he says, hey, you're kind of bent out of shape. Is it, is it reasonable? Yeah, if you do well, you, you could turn this around and you could do this well. And if you do, you'll be accepted. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at its door. Its desire is contrary. Other translation says its desire is to master you. You ever have anger try to master you? That's what Cain was battling. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Very angry describes Cain's heart condition. We would call it being enraged, right? We would call it being ticked off, veins bulging out of the neck kind of thing. And God speaks directly to this issue, and he says to Cain, sin is crouching at the door, and you must master it. And I think that's a great word for us when it comes our way, is that we cannot let rage and anger overcome us. It is so easy to let our anger spill over and just create a debris field all around us and kind of contaminate everything around us uh, and then once that happens, you can't take the words and put them back in your mouth, right? The damage is done. You've, you've got to go from there and kind of 
clean and do mop-up operations. In other words, what God's saying is recognize what's in your heart and that it's not good and that you must master this or conquer this. Uh, we would have to say, you have to shut it down before it gets out of control, right? Shut it down quick. When you start feeling, you know, get on top of it fast because if you let the momentum build, once the train leaves the station, it ain't coming back, right? It's really hard to stop. And you know that it's going to lead to some very bad stuff. Uh, Jim Wilson in his booklet, How to Be Free from Bitterness, we went through that back in the baggage uh, thing in February series. He says this, the symptoms of getting hurt are very close to the symptoms of resentment. Someone gets hurt and they get resentful. There's also a very close connection between being resentful and becoming bitter. Bitterness is resentfulness gone sour. Unresolved resentment turns into deep bitterness. Bitterness, Wilson says, is just resentment that has been held onto. Notice the key phrase there, hanging onto it. <clears throat> picture, great way to picture it. I do this at funerals uh, because a lot of times people are hanging on to bitterness and now the other person's died and they can't even get even with them, right? What do you do? Well, you can walk through life like this or you can walk through life like this. And Wilson's saying, let it go. Do not grab that sucker. It's going to grab you. You don't understand. It will own you. You won't own it. That's what he's trying to get here. Wilson says, resentment that has been held, uh, bitterness is resentment that's been held, held onto. It's become rancid and rotten. You ever run into somebody like that? Well, you do not have to bump them much. And it just comes boiling out. It just, it's kept in, and if you keep it in, it gets worse. And then he says the links in the chain continue. There's a connection between bitterness and hatred. And a very clear biblical identification between hatred and murder. What he's saying here is that hurt can lead to murder. And that's why the Bible says to unload the offenses and the bitternesses and things that happen to us. Get rid of them quickly. Wash it out. Get it out of your spirit. Let it go. Let God. Let God take care of those things. Don't try to handle them yourself because they will end up handling you. Where does Wilson in his booklet pull this, this um, biblical principle from? Well, he pulls it from the story of Cain and Abel. Cain made the mistake of letting his resentment fester and it led to the murder of his brother. Jesus illustrates the very same principle here, this one of, uh, it's of deal with the heart, right? Look at Matthew chapter 5. It'll be up on the screen or you can turn in your Bible. It says, You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fires of hell. What is Jesus getting at? Jesus is talking about it's a heart issue. Don't deal with the symptoms. Remember last week we talked about the virus versus the symptoms? Jesus is saying deal with the virus. Get it out of your heart. Reconcile with God. Come before God and clean that up. It's really hard to love your brother if you are resentful or hurt or bitter at him. 
You ever tried to do that at the same time? Hi. I'd like to bury you in the dirt. Yeah, but you're so nice. Shake. Yeah. And that's why Jesus says this. So if you're, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. What's Jesus saying? It's far better to offer a right heart to him when we come on Sunday morning or when you're, when you're during the week than it is to offer the right gift. God's not as impressed with gifts as he is with heart. And that may hold a key in this whole Cain and Abel thing in that there was something in the offering of Cain uh, with his heart that made the gift not the same as Abel's gift. Because Abel had a right heart. And so God's talking, what Jesus is saying here is two things I think pertaining to what John's talking about. Number one, deal with your resentment on a heart level. Let God get down there. In other words, let him burrow in. Let him get in there. Lay your thoughts out. Uh, a lot of times, we're mad. We don't even know why we're mad. Uh, guys, I tell guys all the time that lust is anger-driven. And they look at me like, what? And I go, lust is anger-driven. Lust, is, anger is the fuel for lust. It's what makes the motor go. So if you're battling lust, one of the great questions is to stop and ask yourself, why am I angry? Or what am I angry at? Well, I don't even know I'm angry. Lord, is there something I'm angry about that I don't realize right now this second that's pushing me? Where is this push coming from? Right? And what you'll find out is you will identify something on a heart level that you hadn't seen before. And then Jesus is also saying, end the hostility and seek reconciliation. Try as best as within your power to be at peace with everybody. The Bible says you, you won't be able to, but as far as it's in your power, be at peace with everyone who will allow you to be at peace with them. John is pointing something out here that I think is a link to what we experience at times, that Cain was irked by Abel's righteousness and it festered to the point of murder. It says that he slayed him. Uh, and if you look up the original language, it means he murdered him violently. Okay? It, 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 he just didn't go, pop, you're dead. Okay? He went after him. It, it says he lured him out in the field, and then he's, the actual word, the meaning behind it is slaughter. Okay? That, that means he violently went after Abel. And, and we forget that part of it, of how Cain was motivated. In other words, it's very, very intentional. And so what you have in this little story is you have the spirit of Cain versus the spirit of Abel. What are some telltale touch points between the spirit of Cain and the spirit of Abel? And it's um, highly likely that John's church was facing some of this same kind of spirit of Cain uh, reaction from those who had left. And the Cain illustration, he steps to the next verse. He says this, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. John is pulling this from the words that Jesus had said and recorded in the gospel. Uh, John recorded Jesus saying this in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. A lot of times it's Christians go, why isn't it going so well for me? And we forget it didn't go so well for Jesus either. There's something about when you try to walk a righteous life, it really bugs and irks other people who aren't. And what they will want to do is drag you down to their level. Last week we talked about bad company corrupts good morals. If they can pull you down to their level, then they don't feel any guilt anymore because everybody's in the same trench, into the same ditch. But if somebody actually steps out of that ditch and and goes after righteousness, now their sin suddenly becomes apparent and they don't like that. And so it irritates them. Uh, Here Jesus is talking about the world in the sense of outside the fellowship. But we know it can happen inside as as well. Uh, But in the case of John's epistle, this would have been the people that were part of the body and then went out from it and then were trying to pull other people out. All right, that's what we're talking about. Jesus is saying the spirit of Cain is still alive and well in this world and that Cain still resents Abel. That's still going on today. Right? This goes back 6,000 years, and this problem is still with us today as it was in the day when Cain killed his brother Abel. In other words, there is an irritation factor for those who do not know Jesus towards those who do. Uh, you may have run into this in your walk with Christ. Uh, the world's solution is just get rid of Jesus and everything would be fine. Actually, Don't change, just get rid of the judgment or the rule or get rid of the person and then everything will be okay. John is saying, as Jesus did, that we have to love even if we are not loved back. This is the hard part. And we get to love even if we're being persecuted. And John, again, points them and us back to Jesus. Again, this is the third time in this short letter that he tells them to set their hearts on Jesus and his example. An example that he, John, had given them since the beginning. How do we know this? We'll look at the next verses. First John, verses 14 and 15 says this. We know we have passed out of death into life. Why? Because we love our brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John's litmus test for knowing whether you're saved or not rests on this love versus hate paradigm. Again, this is referencing Cain and the hate that he held in his heart towards his brother Abel. Jesus was saying the same thing. The world will hate us because we stand for him. And what, what are we talking about here? John is using, as I said, the two brothers as an illustration of the difference between the spirit of the world and the spirit of the kingdom of God. Let's just look at it quickly. Here you have the spirit of Cain and the spirit of Abel. What do you find in the spirit of Cain? you find hate in his heart. What do you find in the spirit of Abel? You find love. What do you find in the spirit of Cain? You find murder. Is the outplaying effect of that hate? In Abel, you have worship. In Cain, you have a fallen countenance. In Abel, you have an open countenance. In Cain, you find Cain being rejected. With Abel, you find Abel being accepted. The spirit of Cain is called evil. He was of the evil one. John minces no words in that. The spirit of Abel is good. 
And Abel, by the way, is remembered all the way through the Bible and uh, as a righteous man and one who stood for the love of God. In the spirit of Cain, uh, the way we would know it in the Old Testament is the old nature or the flesh. In Abel, you have the new nature or what we would know as the spirit. Right? And so you can see these lists. You can see the separation in them. And what God is saying is, have the heart of Abel, not the heart of Cain. And notice it's the heart. It's not the out... Okay. It's not the... I wanted to get ramped up there. I'll just mellow out. It's not the outward actions. It's not the outward posturing that we're doing. It's the inner tape that's running while we're posturing. Okay? It's what's really going on in our hearts and letting the Holy Spirit get to that and cleaning that up. Why? Because if you clean up the inside, the outside naturally follows. But here's the other point. If you don't clean up the inside, it's going to burp out somewhere, and it usually burps out in really inappropriate places. That's why so many people, one of the, one of the number one fears in life is public speaking. I think most of us know that, right? You're fine until I ask you to come up and share, right? Then I'm a very bad guy. And uh, because it's not speaking. But do you know what the second one is? The second one is nursing homes. Being put in a nursing home or assisted living. You know why? Because we start to lose our faculties and all the stuff we so carefully groomed all our life and held it in. We lose the restraints and stuff starts coming out. And people say amazing things in nursing homes that they never said during their life because they've lost the capacity to know what they're saying and it comes burping out. And the question is, what will come burping out of us when we get to that stage? Will Cain come burping out of us or will Abel come burping out of us? And the Bible's saying and Jesus is saying and John is saying, fix that now. Fix your heart now. Be of Abel. Be like Abel. Do not be like Cain. The heavy-hitting part, John says, that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And that's why we're so strongly urged to get rid of this stuff. The Cain in our heart. Look at Colossians uh, chapter 3. <clears throat> this captures the spirit of it. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity. <clears throat> impurity is what we would call pornography. Passion, evil desire, covetousness. That's wanting what everybody else has got which is idolatry. And on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away and look at what we're to put away or to die to. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. This same list that you see here on the screen in Colossians 3 is also in Ephesians 4. And the reason why is not because Paul was bored or he ran out of ideas and he had to duplicate it. The reason is that whenever God doubles up on something in Scripture, you know it's important. Right? And God is doubling up on this. He is telling us to be very careful of the old nature within our hearts. So John again then points them to Jesus and his example. Look at 3.16. You have John 3.16. This is 1 John 3.16. By this we know we love. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brother. 
for the brothers. The story of God commentary uh, that I've been using makes this astute observation. Just as hate, think Cain, just as hate takes away life, so love, Jesus, offers life. It's fundamentally different. Cain hated his brother and killed him, and so Jesus loved his brothers and laid down his life for them. The contrast couldn't be more stark. It's an issue of motivation. It's an issue of why you're doing what you're doing. John is again echoing Jesus and borrowing from his own gospel. In John chapter 15, he says this, As the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. That's a good word for today. Even when it's hot, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. All right? So one of the byproducts of living like Abel, having the heart of Abel and not having the heart of Cain, you know what it is? Joy. Joy comes as a result of being at peace with God and abiding with God. Jesus says it right here. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Go through the New Testament, look up the joy verses. They all have to do with having a right heart. If you have anger taken out of your heart, you can have joy. It's really hard to have hatred or anger and joy at the same time. You ever tried that? It's really difficult to pull off. Joy is an immensely deep sense of satisfaction, of having blessed others, and then correspondingly being blessed by God. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than receive. John is echoing that we need to have a giving life, that we are to live a life of sacrificial generosity. And then John ties a bow on this. Look at verses 17 and 18. If anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed or truth. So if you've been sitting there and get feeling pounded and a guilt trip and like I'm a terrible person, I've got a lot of anger and I'm really bad, let me help you with this. We've done really good on this as a church. This is one of the things God has done. We have been an incredibly sacrificial, generous church. We have been gracious towards a lot of people. And these verses, by the way, right here, are often taken wildly out of context. Uh, without delving into all the social constructs today and all that stuff, this is not talking about giving everything you have away, nor is it talking about taking care of the needs of the world. Although those are addressed, and Jesus talks about that in, like, for example, the parable of the Good Samaritan, but that is not what's being addressed here. We know we should not ignore the needs of the less fortunate around us. And, and by the way, at Northview, we do great care to take care of people like that. We have... Uh, the family care offering, and we give away hundreds and thousands of dollars a year to help people out and to keep them, and we will continue to do that. But go back to the context. Who is this letter to? The letters to the church, and John's talking about making sure that they take care of each other. These verses were not directed to those who are outside the body. These were verses directed to those within the body. Why? Well, for a couple reasons. And I put them up here on a slide for you. First of all, uh, people in John's church came across from all the different social strata. So there were people in the church that had money. There were people that were beggars in the church. They, they, they were from all different stratas. Number two, there were needs right within the body itself. 
that things, if you spend any length of time with the church, you'll know stuff pops up all the time and uh, we work to address that. Uh, it was easy to get jaded with the people leaving. Well, I'm not going to be generous anymore. I gave to those people and they left. Pfft, a lot of good that did. Hey, when we give to people, we give to God, not to them. It's God's responsibility to take care of the gift, not ours. We gave that to him. And so that's what they were wrestling with, though. Uh, number four, as a parallel right off, it's easy to lose trust, right? If somebody bilks you, if somebody, right, if, if somebody takes advantage of you, you tend to get irked. Like, well, I'm not doing that again, right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? Because I bought into it again. It's easy to lose trust. And as a result... It was easy for their love to grow cold towards each other. What did Jesus say? When he comes back, will he find any faith? And what? The love of most will grow cold. Where? In the church. In the church. Okay? We can get really hardened and walled off and jaded and act kind and smile, but not really love each other. And Jesus saying, no, no, keep your heart open. Do good to all men, but especially those of the faith. So back to basics. Love the basics. Keep doing the basics. No matter what's going on in our culture, what's John saying? Keep loving one another. Keep working on each other. And so a practical thing off of this morning would be very simple. Who, who bugs you this morning? Who irritates you? Your face is all just like, nobody. <laughs> Fine. Who bugs you this morning? Who, who do you need to pray for? Who do you need to get out of your heart? Who do you need to give it to God so that it's not there? And let that issue go and get it out. Okay? And then two, a positive one, who would the Lord want you to reach out to this week? Right? Who, who, who do you need to write a note to or send an email to or get a secret gift and drop something off to them for and just let them know you love them who jesus john here are talking about keep it stirred up keep the love stirred up who could you do that some practical things jesus says this abide in me as i abide in you god will stir that stuff up in us remember that he's at the center of it keep that warm be of the spirit of abel not of the spirit of Cain. Anytime you see Cain, Cain's got to go. Right? Cain's got to go. Keep that. That's a good motto. Cain's got to go. <laughs> Abel can stay. Cain's got to go. Make sense? All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we know this battle. We wrestle with it all the time. There's times where we're clicking along and we are just loving you and loving life and loving people. And then somebody does something to us and... And it grates on us and it grates on our nerves and we know we're supposed to let it go, but we rehearse it and we grab it again and we let it go. We rehearse it and grab it again. We let it go. And it's just a nasty battle. We need your help. We ask for your help. Cleaning up the inside of our hearts is not as easy as we thought it was. Lord, we seek you this morning. I don't know who you've talked to. I don't know how you've talked to them. I'm pretty sure you've been talking. We ask that you would make us the spirit of Abel and Cain has got to go. Father, help root out the old nature in us and we seek you for that in your name. Amen.